Good evening, Clifford Baptist Church. Glad to see you all here tonight on Wednesday night. Our crowd is a little lighter. I think maybe some of the thunder and lightning and storms coming through scared a few people, but I'm glad our group is here on Wednesday night. And those of you streaming with us tonight, thank you for meeting us for Bible study. Uh, as we go through the high points of the Bible, see how the thread of God's love and the thread of God's direction and grace and blessing uh, follows throughout the entirety of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. We are deep into the New Testament right now. In fact, just a few more lessons uh, before us. But as we get started tonight, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Lord, our God, thank you for the blessing of having this holy word of God so accessible to us. Father, we thank you that we know that we need to get it off the coffee table and bedside and open it up so that it can enter into our minds and into our hearts. And Father, tonight we are thankful to be your people gathered here that we might have open Bibles and open minds that we will hear the truth of your word. Father, thank you that the thread of your love and the thread of your grace traces throughout the entirety of the Bible from the creation of the universe to the creation of the people of Israel through the judges and the kings and the prophets and on through the birth of Christ and the New Testament church. Lord, we thank you for the thread of love that runs through the entirety of history as we see it revealed in your word. So tonight, Lord, thank you for students of the word. Thank you that we gather here just asking that you bless us. Now, we know that your banner over us is love, and we're thankful to be in your presence, in your house, studying your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we open our Bibles tonight, if you want to go to the first book we're going to get started in tonight. It's in your New Testament. It's a letter of, of Paul. It's going to be the book of Philemon, uh, the shortest letter that Paul wrote in our word, the book of Philemon in your New Testament. But before we get started there, let me just say that we are looking at the letters of Paul. Uh, last week, we looked at letters of Paul to the churches to whom he wrote. Tonight, we're going to look at the four letters to individuals Paul wrote to. Uh, of course, those of us who are Bible students know that really, Paul is one of the towering figures in the New Testament. He is eclipsed only by Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul was a Jewish man who grew up under the strictest of instruction of the, what we know as the Old Testament. His name as a Jewish young man was Saul. Uh, he hated the church. He hated the ministry of the Lord. He was totally opposed to the church, wanted to destroy it in its infancy, wanted to take people to prison uh, and to, uh, even to persecution uh, who were part of the church and believers in the Lord Jesus. And then Paul, Saul, met Jesus on the road to Damascus and through that event was saved. His life turned around 180 degrees. The man who used to be the greatest opponent of the church became the greatest proponent of the church, preaching Jesus Christ, traveling the Roman Empire, planting churches as he went with those new believers who came to Christ through his preaching. So he is, to me, one of the most interesting individuals who has ever lived. If you want to study someone's life, uh, Paul is a great study. Now, in the course of his ministry, he wrote letters to separate church bodies. We took a look at them last lesson. Uh, one main point of our study is that Paul's letters to churches 2,000 years ago absolutely speak to the church of the 21st century. They are God's inspired word 
poured through the mind and the pen of St. Paul, but these words are just as real and true for our church today as they were the moment Paul put them on papyrus. Uh, I think one of the questions that I've asked myself often is, I wonder, did Paul know the eternal nature of what he was writing? Did he understand that what he was writing to churches and to individuals was holy for God? And I'm not so sure that Paul completely comprehended how holy his writings would be, that it would become truly a part of the New Testament, the the writing of God, which has given guidance to the church and to believers for 2,000 years. I'm not sure Paul completely understood how important his writings were going to be, that God would breathe through his word uh, throughout the centuries. But I, I say that to say this, I don't think any of us realize how blessed our actions for Christ are and how eternal our actions for Him will be. How our witness who might touch someone that they come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you give a good word of Jesus to someone, you plant that seed, maybe it doesn't immediately happen that they come to Christ, but you plant that seed through your life, through your actions, uh, and and you, you show them Christ in your life, that seed will sprout and grow and one day perhaps will come to the fruition of that person coming to Christ. Your planting of that seed is something that is eternal. I think we do eternal things every day in the name of Christ representing Him. We don't know how important they are and we won't know until the day we get to glory. But I do believe that every day we have opportunities to do eternal things just as Paul did. Well, As Paul gave counsel to churches, he also gave counsel to individuals. There are four letters in your New Testament that he wrote to someone in the faith. He directed them to someone who is a believer. Here are the four. Philemon, and then also Timothy, and of course we have two letters to Timothy, first and second Timothy, and then also Titus, four letters to three individuals uh, that have guided the church for many, many centuries. Now, again, the counsel that he's giving to these individuals is eternal in nature. It is God's holy word. So I want us to take a brief overview, a brief look at each one of these four letters tonight. We're going to start with Philemon. So those of you streaming with us, please open your Bible, get it open to the shortest letter that Paul wrote. The book of Philemon is right before you get to Hebrews in your New Testament. So Philemon is the shortest writing of Paul in your Bible. It is only 25 verses. There's only one chapter to Philemon, but 25 verses long. Uh, This is a prison epistle. Paul wrote this letter about Philemon uh, while he was incarcerated in Rome. The letter to the man man Philemon uh, is a letter to a man who was a member of the church of Colossae. Uh, If you remember, of course, there is a letter to a church called Colossians in your Bible. And just as Paul wrote that letter in prison in Rome to the Colossian church, at the same time frame, he wrote this letter to Philemon. Uh, Philemon was a slave owner in Colossae. Not only was he a slave owner, he was also a member of the Colossian church. Now, especially in our culture today, we are hypersensitive to the word slave or the word slavery. Uh, And of course, that 
word and that concept has much conversation in our society in these days. Uh, as many people feel they have to address this sin that did take place in America happening over 150 years ago. Slavery in biblical times was a bit on a different level. Uh, it was an accepted practice in the New Testament world. It has been estimated that as much as 40% of the entire Roman Empire were slaves, were servants to someone else. The population of the Roman Empire were, was was greatly impacted by the concept of slavery, someone who gave their life in service to someone. Uh, many entered into this form of slavery or bond service willingly, uh, whereas, of course, slavery in America was something that was forced on individuals. Much of this was very much voluntary by those who entered into slavery in biblical times. The Bible neither condemns nor does it condone slavery. It's just a fact of life in this day when the Bible's pages were written. But the Bible does say this, and this is the most important concept about slavery. It does say that the love of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ supersedes every cultural type of situation we might be in. Write this reference down. It's Galatians chapter 3. Verses 27 and 28. Just write it down. Listen to these words. This is the Bible's most important point about slavery. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Those verses say this. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying here in Galatians 3 is that no matter what your station is in life, even male, female, if you're a slave or if you're the slave owner, if you're bond, if you're free, uh, it does not matter what your station in life is. When you are saved in Jesus Christ, we are one, one body in unity. And so salvation in Christ supersedes every cultural situation we might be in. But here's the setup for the letter to Philemon. Philemon, again, is a member of the Colossian church. He has a slave, and this slave's name is Onesimus. Uh, Onesimus has run away. He has gone AWOL in his position of slavery to Philemon. It's a desertion that in Roman law was punishable by death. So when Onesimus was found as a runaway slave, it was absolutely Philemon's right to kill him because he was legally his property and he could take his life. Somehow, and we don't know how, we'll learn this in heaven, but somehow Onesimus comes into a relationship with Paul. Perhaps Onesimus runs across Paul somehow in a Roman prison, it seems. Perhaps Onesimus went to Rome and he was using his uh, talent as a servant. Maybe he was serving in the, the governmental offices. But in some way, Onesimus came into a relationship with Paul. And Paul led him, this runaway slave, Paul led Onesimus to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And with that new life, with that new Christian commitment, Paul wants to send him back to Philemon 
and he wants to encourage Philemon to accept him as a new man. Yes, he did run away as a slave, but I'm sending to you a new man because now Onesimus knows Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. So Paul is writing this letter to slave owner Philemon to accept and forgive Onesimus and take him back into his care. Well, what's Paul's approach? It's very interesting to me in this letter to Philemon. How does Paul strive to heal this relationship between Philemon, the slave owner, and the runaway slave, Onesimus? Well, I want you to look at Philemon, and let's just look very briefly at a few verses, but look at Philemon, uh, verses 8 through 11. Paul makes his point. Listen to what he says. Wherefore, Though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Okay, here's what, here's what Paul is saying to Philemon here. He's saying, I'm a prisoner here in Rome, and you and I, Philemon, are brothers. And I want you to know that I have the right and I have the authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ to tell you what to do here. I could tell you as an authority figure in the church that you are to take Onesimus back as your runaway slave. I could do that because I have that authority as an apostle, but... For love's sake, I rather beg you as your brother, as your friend, to take Onesimus back. I'm not ordering you to do it. I have the right to do so. But I'm begging you, on the name of Jesus Christ, to take him back. So Paul begins by saying, as this apostle, I I could demand this, but I'm not going to do that. I'm sending him back to you. Because now he can be profitable to you, Philemon. He is a brother. He is saved in Jesus Christ. He has a new heart. He has a new way of thinking. So I'm sending him back to you now. He left you as an unprofitable man running away from his job. But I'm sending him back to you as a saved man who will be profitable to you now. He will be trustworthy. He will follow the the word of the Lord as he follows you as the slave owner. He's been profitable to me, and I know he'll be profitable to you. He departed from you only for a season, but I'm sending him back to you now forever because he has a new heart. Be reconciled to him. Forgive him. And here's the clincher statement. Look at verse 17 of Philemon. Paul says this, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. So here's this great missionary of great respect, and he said, If you respect me, Philemon, you receive Onesimus back just as if it it was myself walking through your door. You give him that welcome, and you receive him back as your brother. If you love and respect me in Christ, you receive him as you would receive me. So Paul is very, very persuasive here. I hope you see that. He's very persuasive with Philemon. And this letter stands to teach us that Jesus unites us as brothers and sisters. No matter our earthly stance, no matter where we are or what we're doing, knowing Jesus crosses all social barriers, and he makes us all equal. 
He makes us all equally loved and all the same, and we're fellow ministers in the Lord Jesus. So that means that all the social barriers that separate us are now gone uh, because we're brothers and sisters. That's the principle of the little book of Philemon, and that is still the principle that joins us together as the church today. All are equally received without prejudice. Well, we have to move on. Let's go to these two letters that Paul writes to Timothy. So flip backward now. Go to First and Second Timothy. Start with First Timothy. As Paul writes these two letters, Timothy is a young man, and he has a big job. He has taken over as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is an extremely important city. It is second only to Rome in its importance in the Roman Empire. Paul founded the church in Ephesus, uh, and he himself, he himself stayed there on that field for two years as its pastor. Uh, Timothy is Paul's son in the ministry. What, from what we see in the Bible, I believe that Paul was at one time married because he was a Pharisee. And in order to be a Pharisee, you had to be married. So somewhere in Paul's life, I believe, he had a wife, but he'd lost her along the way. But the Bible doesn't teach us that he had any children. It doesn't teach us that he had a wife. That's conjecture. But he didn't have any children. And so he adopts this young man, Timothy, as his son in the ministry. He loves this young man. And because Timothy is so close to Paul... uh, Paul is in Ephesus, this large, ungodly city, and ministry is needed there desperately. The church has to grow in the midst of a very ungodly city. So Paul has been giving guidance to the church in Ephesus, but he is now feeling the need to move on and travel on and go across the Roman Empire, continuing to preach as a missionary. And so it becomes obvious that he is to place his son in the ministry, Timothy, as the replacement pastor in the church at Ephesus. He is very needed there. It is a very busy, challenging church, uh, and it becomes obvious that when young Timothy takes over as pastor there, he feels the strain of ministry. If any of you have been in ministry, whether it's from teaching children, to Sunday school ministry, to deacon ministry, to pastoral ministry, you know there are times when ministry can be strenuous, can often be hard. Timothy was feeling that. He felt the strain of the pastorate as a young man. Well, Paul writes to him. That's the reason he's writing these letters to Timothy, because he knows Timothy is in a very strenuous situation, and he's giving him counsel about being a godly man. Being a godly young man, one of the directives of Paul to Timothy is, you are young, but you live your life so you gain the respect of even the elders of the church. Live your life so that you gain the respect of those who are much older than you. These two letters are a gold mine for today's pastor. They're speaking to the pastor. And I, I love these two letters, but also they're a gold mine for any Christian in how we're to live our life if we're intent on doing ministry. And may I add this, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, every one of us should be intent on doing ministry. Now, you're talented in a different way than me. All of us have different ways of service, different callings of the kingdom. But every one of us should be intent on doing the ministry that the Lord has given us talent to do. So as we open 1 Timothy, we see Paul's love for this young man. Look at 1 Timothy, the first two verses, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 
Paul writes this as he opens his letter to this young man. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I believe Paul literally saw himself as a father figure to Timothy. But I also love Paul's description of himself. Here he's, he describes his love for Timothy in just, just these opening words. But listen to the way that Paul describes himself. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Here's, here's how Paul says he views himself. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I love that description of Paul because Paul said, I persecuted the church. I did it in unbelief. I did it out of ignorance. But the Lord Jesus moved into my heart and into my life. And Paul was amazed. Paul was simply marveling that the Lord pulled him out of hatred of the church and hatred of the Lord and not only saved him, but placed him in ministry, made him a missionary made him a preacher, calling others to know the Savior whom he had come to know so deeply. And I, I believe the last words in verse 15, look at what he says, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, uh, considering himself, he says, he, he came, Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I believe that Paul literally believed that he was the worst sinner who ever lived. Paul literally believed, if God can save me, God can save anybody. And he preached that way. There was no one, be it a pauper to a king, there was no one that Paul would not speak to about coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior because the guiding thought was, if he can save me, he can save you, no matter who you are. And now as we get into chapter 2 of, of 1 Timothy, Paul addresses different groups in the church. Let me tell you this, we, we always have to consider the social context of God's Word. Please do bear that in mind. You have to think about the area, the area of time and the era of time uh, where God's Word was written and what is happening in the day. Uh, I, I want you to remember that the church in Ephesus was in a very ungodly place. The world-famous Temple of Diana was the centerpiece of the city of Ephesus, and cult prostitutes roamed the streets day and night out of the temple Diana, approaching men on every corner of the city, stating, in order to be a part of our religion, you have to engage in immorality. But it was also a fundraising thing for the temple of Diana. But prostitutes roamed the streets in the name of their God day and night. 
So in chapter 2, Paul addresses Timothy to lead the church's women to pray and to express themselves in quietness and in godly works and to follow the leadership of the church. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 2.11. This has been a, a most discussed verse. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Well, that verse has been really addressed when we think about the women's role in the church. And let me be the first to say, women, the church could not exist without you. We, we need you. you. You fill such a vital role in the church's life. But in, in looking at that verse and the, the, the word that's used here uh, is the word silence. Women are to, to learn in, in being silent or silence. Really, the better translation here is for a woman to, to, to be learning in dignified quietness. Dignified quietness. I want you to remember that there were women roaming the streets of Ephesus 24 hours a day, and they were undignified, and they were bold, and they were approaching men, and they were offering themselves in immorality. And Paul says, Timothy, teach the women of the church that they need to shine with the love of Christ. And they need to live in direct opposition to what the men are seeing out on the street. The women of Christ are to be absolutely different from the women of Ephesus. And so they're to be dignified and they're to be quiet because the women on the street are loud and boisterous and calling men all day long. Teach the women to be different, that they are to be dignified in the presence of others and before the Lord Jesus. Well, moving on. Chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, Paul gives Timothy guidance as to how the church is to choose godly leaders in deacons and pastors, or pastors are also known as bishops. A leader is, I think, Paul certainly agrees with this, a leader is crucial to the heart of the church, to the overall health of the church and scriptural soundness of the church. The leadership of the church from pastors on down through the leadership of the deacons and those who are Sunday school teachers on down through those who are instructing the gospel, even to the babies, wherever you might be, we have to be scripturally sound and solid. The leadership of the church has to be solid in what we teach. Chapter 4, he says, beware of false teachers who can quickly mess up the church as chapter 5 opens Paul addresses the church to care for widows who don't have family who don't have someone within the family to help take care of them and he basically teaches that the church is to honor every age group of the church body now now here's a verse that's often mentioned I want you to look at 1st Timothy chapter 5 verse 23 1 Timothy 5, 23. If there's ever a verse that's been brought to my attention more than any in the letters, it's this one. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Well, I believe that the pressures of ministry were causing health problems to young Timothy. Uh, I can tell you when I get into a really tight, tough, hard situation in ministry, it tears my insides up. And I believe that's exactly what's happening here with Timothy. And so Paul tells him, 
for your stomach issues, take the medicine of a little bit of wine to settle it down and to bring some peace. Uh, it has nothing to do with giving people permission to drink. Of course, you know, taking a drink of wine, and uh, wine was very much a part of the biblical day from the Old Testament through the New Testament. You cannot make a case as a teetotaler, but you can make a, taste, uh, t- uh, you can, can make a, t- a case for your witness, what your witness is. I am a teetotaler, but the reason I, ha- I-, I have the right, I could take a drink if I wanted to, not to get drunk, but taste of wine or whatever that is, but, but my witness is more important than that. So I want to lay aside that freedom and say, I want my witness to be pure. I don't want anybody to walk by me in a restaurant saying, well, look, he's got a beer sitting in beside him. He must be an alcoholic somewhere in a closet. I don't want that. So I set it all aside because I want to preserve my witness. Uh, so I want to put that point in that we don't get a stumbling block here. Uh, think about your witness when it comes to that drink of wine. Uh, also, chapter 6. Paul charges Timothy to remain dedicated to fight the good fight of ministry uh, and faith. Let's move on to 2 Timothy. Uh, Again, these are hops and skips through because of a time limit. But do, I hope this inspires you to read the whole book and take account of everything that's said in the book. That's the reason we're doing this. 2 Timothy, this is the last letter Paul writes in your Bible. He is an old man. He's writing to Timothy, who is still the pastor. Uh, Old Paul is just building up his son one last time. And he asks Timothy to stay strong. And the reason Paul is asking Timothy to stay strong here is because he knows that he is passing the baton on to his son. He's leaving the scene. It won't be long before he's gone. And so he tells Timothy, here's the baton. You stay strong in ministry. You represent the Lord Jesus in the way that I have represented him. And you keep walking forward in faith. Uh, here's a great charge that Paul gives to Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 and 9. Here's what Paul says to his son. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. What a great word when Paul is telling his son, you stay strong, you represent the Lord well. And notice that Paul says, your plan and the plan of Jesus Christ was established before the world began. The cross was already in God's mind before the universe was created. Before the Lord ever said, let there be light, God Almighty knew that we'd need the cross. God Almighty made the commitment that one day he would die on that cross before he created the world. Before the world began, the plan was in place for you, for me, for our salvation, just as it was for Pastor Timothy. He says, Timothy, don't be ashamed as you confront the lost culture of Ephesus. Words for today. You know, in our culture today, we're facing a lot of opposition. The church is facing opposition. 
We have to stand true. We have to stand strong. We cannot be ashamed. We cannot hide our witness. We cannot compromise what we believe. Even when the world is encroaching on our doorsteps with additional laws and you can't preach this and you can't preach that, we're going to stand strong. We're going to preach what God's Word says. We're going to teach and live what God's Word says despite what might come against us. That's what Paul, tell, Paul is telling Timothy here, and certainly it applies to us today. Don't let fear rule the church. Don't let fear rule your ministry. <coughs> You'll also notice throughout 2 Timothy that Paul says, Stay strong and endure and follow righteousness. He tells Timothy, Preach the word without failure and preach the word without fear. In season and out of season. No matter where you are, who you're with, don't hide the word. Preach it in season and out of season. Why is Paul so adamant with Timothy in this letter? Two reasons. Number one, in his day, the world was getting worse. Does that ring a bell? In our day, the world is getting worse. So Paul says, you can't compromise, Timothy. The world's not getting better. The world's getting worse, and so it is today. And then secondly, again, Paul is adamant with Timothy because he knows that he's leaving soon. One of the most precious portions of God's Word, and I read it yesterday at Derek Hartless's funeral. Uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. This is kind of Paul's swan song here. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So all of us will receive that crown of service as we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, a touching close to 2 Timothy and the close of Paul's writings in the New Testament. Okay, finally, fourth letter. This is to an individual whose name is Titus. So if you want to turn your Bible to the book of Titus, uh, Paul wrote to this young man about 62, 64 A.D. He was probably, he was not in prison for this letter. He was probably in the city of Corinth. Titus was different from Timothy. Uh, Titus was totally a, a Gentile man. Uh, he was of a different race and a different cultural background from Paul. Of course, Paul was totally Jew uh, and uh, had nothing but a Jewish background to call on, while Titus was totally a Gentile man. Uh, Paul seemed to have led Titus to the Lord Jesus himself, and Titus came to travel with Paul. He traveled, he worked with Paul, he was definitely with Paul when he was at one time in Corinth. In fact, if you'll notice, Titus, if you want to count it up one of these days, Titus is mentioned nine times in 2 Corinthians. So, Titus was traveling with Paul uh, in those days. Now, Paul had briefly visited an island in the Mediterranean Sea called Crete. Of course, it's still there today. Uh, Crete, the island, is 160 miles long, and Paul sent Titus to that island for ministry. Much as he left Timothy in Ephesus to be a minister, he left Titus in Crete, on the island of Crete, 
uh, to be in ministry there. So Paul writes this letter, just as he wrote to Timothy to encourage him, he's writing this letter to encourage Titus. Uh, here's a young pastor, Paul's counseling him. He, we can tell through the letter that he is facing opposition by ungodly men. Uh, and so this letter to Titus really does not have a lot of doctrine in it, but uh, rather it indicates that Titus was very well trained, he was knowledgeable, he was faithful. So the main thrust of the letter is to challenge Titus to continue his ministry at Crete, to not give up, to be effective as an evangelist. Uh, some of the key verses, look at chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. These are the qualifications of good church leadership. Again, applying to Titus, these 20 centuries, 21 centuries later, applying to us. Titus chapter 1, look at verses 5 through 9. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop, remember bishop, pastor, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So we see guidance here for how do you choose a pastor here are the qualifications uh there that's a pretty high bar if you notice uh it's a it's a high bar of qualifications of leadership uh thankfully god is a forgiving god but this is a high bar and we are to work to attain that bar uh, also in chapter two of titus uh, Paul recognizes that there are different ages of people in the church. And the older men are charged to be good mentors. The older women are supposed to be teaching the younger women of the church how to be faithful, how to love their husbands, how to be good mothers. The young men of the church are to be sober-minded and faithful. And then chapter 3 is a great statement of God's grace and salvation by mercy and by faith alone. Uh, it's not by our acts of righteousness, but rather it's by faith in Jesus, His cross, His resurrection as our Lord and as our Savior. We're going to end it tonight. If you want to look with me, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Paul writes this to this young man in ministry, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a promise of God that is. So as we close tonight's lesson with these four letters of Paul, there is so much good guidance from them as he writes to these three individuals in these four letters, they're worthy of your reading, they're worthy of your study because they inform you and me as individual believers and they inform us as a church and how we're to be church together. So as we close our study tonight, just want to let you know next week we're going to study one book alone. It's one of those enigma books of the New Testament. It is the book of Hebrews. Uh, it is a wonderful book 
book of the Bible. I have preached through the book of Hebrews a few years ago. Uh, a challenging study. We do not know the author of Hebrews, though I suspect it could very well have been Paul. Uh, but internal evidence doesn't really tell us that. But we'll get into that next week. But next week, if you want to prepare for the lesson, if you want to scan through, read through, study through the book of Hebrews, that's where we'll be. God bless you for joining me tonight in our study through these letters of Paul. Those streaming with us, thank you for being with us. Let's close with a little word of prayer. Lord God, thank you that we've opened your word tonight. Father, I pray that maybe I've piqued a little interest, not just to go through the high points of these four books of the Bible, but maybe... We as believers can read through them very soon, Lord, because they have so much good direction and counsel for the children of God and the church of God. Tonight, bless us, Lord. Implant in us your word. Help us to live it. Help us to study it. Help us to know it. Lord, your word is eternal, a jot, nor a tittle of it will ever pass away. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you will help us to appreciate it and help us to know it through and through. We love you, and we thank you, Lord, for each one who's been with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night. God bless you, streamers.